Baptist Church, Charlotte. So once again, everybody, this is our final lesson in Acts chapter number nine. Maybe not our final final, um, but we have been on Acts chapter number nine, verse six now for, um, was it four weeks? I think so. Four weeks. We started out with, um, um, we started at the end, Prince of Peace. And we went back and we did Wonderful Counselor. And last week we did Mighty God. And guess what we're doing tonight? Everlasting Father. We're doing Everlasting Father tonight. So thank you again for joining. All right. So once again, my topic is the Everlasting Father. Now, now this title, Father, should strike a deep resonating chord in all of our hearts because of what? Well, it represents to all of us something that we all know, especially if you were raised or you grew up with a loving father. The theme of the name itself, or the title, I should say, itself represents fatherhood, which, as I said, all of us, most of us, should be able to relate to. Now, some of us have wonderful memories of our childhood and earthly fathers, and I put myself in that category. But for others of us, perhaps some of you, fatherhood may be a painful thought. Your dad wasn't very good to you or your siblings or to your mom. So that might be a little bit painful when you think about it. And you may live with the scars from that time, maybe scars of neglect, of hurt, God forbid, but maybe some abuse there. The wounds, the psychological damage, and so on can still linger for years and years and years. Still, for others, it wasn't that your dad was bad or good. He was just not there. He was gone. He was absent. He probably died. So either uh, physically or perhaps worse, emotionally, he was absent. For a few of you, as I mentioned, your dad was, wasn't a part of your life because of death. And you may have struggled with latent feelings of having been abandoned, even though you may know that it wasn't your fault. And so, when speaking to this theme of fatherhood, this will perhaps strike a core deep in your heart, but it won't make a pleasant sound for all of you. And, and, and for some of you, it may make a painful one. And yet, here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ helps us to know God as our Father. And not just our Father, but our everlasting Father. If you read with us uh, Isaiah chapter number 9, which is our text, um, it was very clear. This, this child that would be born, the Bible says, he would be called the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And that's what we've been studying for the last month. This is a unique privilege and a distinct mark of a child of God to know God as their everlasting Father. That is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you know God as Father, then you don't waste time groping around in the dark looking for some higher spiritual power or go, go chasing after some false and fickle deity because you know Jesus Christ as your Father. 
Because of Jesus, this this prophesied uh, child to be born, this son to be given, uh, you confess that there is but one God, the Father from whom all things come, 1 Corinthians 8. And in Ephesians 4, we read this, that there is only one God and Father of us all. Paul writes this to the church at Ephesus. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in you all. And so you say, aren't we all children of God? And in a way, the answer is yes, in a way, in a way. But let me clarify. Before we look at how Jesus reveals us uh, or reveals maybe God as the everlasting father, we need to address the question that may already be surfacing in some of your minds. It, it sounds something like this. Isn't God the father of us all? And we've already answered that. Well, it is certainly true that God is the creator and sustainer of all living things, including all of us. And he has fatherly, he has a fatherly relationship with his creation, including each and every human being on the planet. The fact is that the Bible talks about God as father, specifically by means of creation. But he's also our creator. And he has also become our redeemer. However, remember that God's fatherhood depends specifically on our relationship with him. Amen. Here's the deal. Because of the fall and sin, especially the disobedience of Adam, none of us comes into the world with a guaranteed relationship with God, or at least not a good one. Instead, the Bible says that apart from Christ, we are alienated from God. In other words, we are not children of God when we enter this world. As a matter of fact, the Bible goes on to say, we were all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And in sin, did your mother conceive you? In other words, where sin is, God is not. So the Bible insists that we are children of wrath. If you read Ephesians 2, let me read it for you. Paul writes, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you follow the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse three, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest of we were by nature deserving of God's wrath. Wow. That's what Paul writes. Nevertheless, we find a surprising discovery. The universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man are not found. Those are not biblical themes. They're not found in the text. Notice what I said, the universal fatherhood and the universal brotherhood of man are not found in the Bible. Are you surprised by this? Yes, of course, God is the creator and sustainer of all humanity. But the Bible wants us to understand that he is not the Abba Father of everyone equally. The Abba Father, you remember that? 
that is the reference that children use when they say, hey, daddy, Abba, the Abba father. The Bible wants us to know that he becomes our Abba father, our daddy, when we stand in a unique adoptive and covenant relationship to him. So it's not automatic. You've got to come into this adoptive relationship with him for you to be referred to him as Abba Father or Daddy. It is always a shock to me to overhear some children calling their fathers by their first name. Have you ever heard this? Uh, the first time I've heard it, um, we, we never heard this in Jamaica. We never hear this in Jamaica because it was always, we were taught it was always disrespectful to refer to an adult by their first name. So it's always Mr. So-and-so last name or Mrs. So-and-so last name. But when we emigrated to the, to the U.S., I routinely heard children calling their parents by their first name. It was a shock to me. I was like, what? Somebody's about to get smacked. Right. So it was always a shock to me to hear children refer to their parents by their first name. Um, I read this interaction and I want to share it with you. This is um, a father and his child. He said, when my children were younger, every once in a while, one of them would slip up and call me by my first name, John, instead of dad or daddy. Of course, they did it, not with disrespect, but perhaps just a mistake, or maybe they were joking. But I was always eager to correct them, he said. Why is it such a big deal for them to call me by my respected honorarium title of father? The way I think about it, he says, is simple. At this point in their life, they, they absolutely want me. In fact, they need me to be their daddy their father, not John. My friends and co-workers call me John, largely because I'm not in a deep covenant relationship with them. My relationship with them is more casual. You see, I wouldn't die for most of my co-workers or friends. However, I certainly would risk my life or even die for my children, he says. So in my mind, the justification for them being required to call me father or daddy rests with my commitment to them. I think that is also why the Lord went to Calvary for us. We needed him, not the other way around. We needed him to die on our behalf because guess what? We couldn't do it on our own. We could not eradicate sin. We could not pay that debt. And so we only know God as Father through Jesus Christ, his one of a kind, the Bible says, his only begotten uh, son. None of us has the right, if we look at this carefully, by virtue of our human birth to call God our Father. I know I'm, I'm treading on, on thin ice here, but, but stay with me. Only one person has that right, and that is Jesus, right? The only begotten of the Father, right? So this is also why we need to be born again. Come on, somebody. I need somebody to be preaching with me. In fact, only through Jesus do we learn to call God Father. Only through Jesus can we truly see him as Father. You can't have the fatherhood of God without embracing the sonship and the sacrifice of Jesus. Are you following me? 
given the popularity of what we now call the ecumenical movement in this country and yay even around the world sometimes when people ask whether christians and muslims worship the same god it can be tempting for all sorts of reasons to say yes but sadly it's impossible to do so because that will be allowing you to deny the sonship of jesus are you with me you lose the fatherhood of god if you deny the sonship of jesus you can't have one without the other so be careful with what you agree with in those conversations here's what matthew eleven twenty five says at that time jesus said quote i praise you father jesus says this i praise you father Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Verse 26. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except through the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You see that? And if you go to what Paul writes in both Colossians and Corinthians, Paul writes, quote, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He would often start some of his letters that way, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes if you're not solid and steady in your oneness theology, you might get confused there. It's a way of Paul declaring that we only know God as Father through Jesus Christ. This phrase answers the question, who is God? It also addresses what the Bible, as well as what Paul says, that God is a spirit. And he is the only one that Jesus calls Father, the spirit. Jesus is, the Bible says, God's firstborn the only begotten of the Father, Colossians 1 and 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the Bible says, over all creation. Hebrews 1 and 6 says, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, again referring to Jesus, Revelations 1 and 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us, from our sins in his own blood. And then in John 1 and 18, we read, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father. He has revealed him. He has made him known to us. So this means that Jesus is uniquely God's emanation or God's revelation to us. The writer of the book of Hebrews says that he reveals the invisible God. Jesus is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. His son and God is uniquely, uniquely Jesus's father. They enjoy a unique one of a kind relationship of father and son. And none of us will ever will or never will have will be in that kind of a relationship. That is a one of a kind deal. This is why we also often find Jesus when praying, he would say to God that you are my father. 
This is one example in Matthew 10. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will also disown before my Father in heaven. So the way we relate to Jesus as God is through adoption. We relate to God as Father through Jesus by the adoption of us through the Holy Spirit. Stay with me. Jesus enjoys a unique relationship with God. We've already established that. But here's the truly beautiful thing. Because of what Jesus has done for us in his life, his death and his resurrection, in his sacrifice and in his suffering, he enables us to enter into the same relationship with God as our Father. You see that? Indeed, our everlasting Father. He opens the way to us through adoption. We only know God as Father because of Jesus, his Son, and because he sends his Spirit into our hearts to do what? To adopt us and to fold us into the family of God as children of the Heavenly Father. Now, some of you will know that within the adoption community, a wonderful phrase has emerged lately where adoptive families uh, who provide for orphan ch children, in many cases, um, as you may know, orphans are passed from family to family long before they find that, here's the phrase, forever family. And so if you've known anybody who have adopted children, you might hear them say from time to time, uh, these are our forever children. I am their forever parent, right? Uh, it's a difficult thing for a child to be passed around for years, sometimes many years without finding that forever family. And if you've never known any orphans, you should have a conversation with them and they will make this profoundly clear to you. So over time, if not, if they haven't found a forever family, this will leave those children with a profound sense of insecurity and uncertainty about their place in the world or even their value in the world. And so in recent years, adoptive families now talk about their forever family. That's how they refer to their children. This bond of adoption, come on now, I'm coming around. This bond of adoption, while not the same as maybe blood or biology, is nevertheless just as permanent. This is comparable to our adoptive relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I see Carlos smiling right now. Did you know that God has a forever family of which he is the everlasting father? And that when you become a part of God's forever family, nothing will ever change that. Come on, somebody. The adoption is final. The bond is secure. Only you can dissolve that bond by separating and walking away from that relationship. But the commitment from the father to you is secure. It's secure. It's secure. God, the father never changes his mind. He never stops being your heavenly father. The one who has secured your adoption through his sacrifice always lives to intercede for us and thus guarantees the bond that it will endure forever. 
so too the spirit who has been sent to formalize the adoption in our lives has been given, not temporarily, but permanently, forever and ever. Permanently, forever and ever. And therefore, our adoption into the family of God is guaranteed for all eternity. Therefore, our everlasting Father. We are by faith in Jesus, part of God's forever family. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's how Paul refers to it, becomes our everlasting Father. Who says to his children, to you and to me and to anyone else who will look at him with the faith of a child. I always refer to this uh, as something that I never understood clearly until I started studying the children, uh, studying the Bible. Children has this faith in their parents that they don't have in anybody else. Right? And you could be in, in, in a deep pool or something like that with a, a toddler and you say, jump and they will just blindly jump into your arms right dangerous situation but they have faith in you as their parent that you will catch them and it's the same kind of faith that we should have in our heavenly father listen to jesus's timeless words he says quote i will never leave you nor forsake you you are mine in other words, he's saying, you're part of my forever family. I've got you. And when Jesus taught us to pray, right? This is a privilege beyond our dis description. I mean, we don't even understand uh, how important or how valuable this relationship is. To know God as your everlasting father is a privilege. First John 3 verses 1 through 3 puts it this way. It gives it a, a sense of wonder that I love in this, in this text. It says, if you read in the New King James, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it didn't know him. Beloved, now are we the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when it is revealed, when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And that is what we are. Sons and daughters of God. Goodness, what a privilege. What a gift. What a grace. When you know God as father, not simply as the great cosmic force on high. It changes the way you address God when you know him that personally. First of all, it changes the way you pray. And it transforms your relationship with him. Right? You learn to look to the Father in prayer with a, a childlike boldness. You can easily jump into his arms. Right. And know that you are secure because he's got you. Right. This is how Jesus taught us to pray with childlike boldness to our everlasting father. So I'm reading Matthew seven and verse seven. He says this. Ask and it shall be given to you. This is your father talking. Seek and you will find. 
This is your father talking. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Verse 8, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. He goes on to say in verse 9, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, you will give him a snake. Verse 11. Now, if you all then, who are evil, that's how God referred to us, you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So if y'all are not asking God for some good gifts, I encourage you to start asking pronto. Right? Ask him. Ask, he says and you shall receive. But we also learn to approach God in prayer with this vulnerable dependence. That is, when we find ourselves in a difficult spot of pain or fear or doubt or hardship, we, we learn to cry out to God with the words, Abba, Father. Often, when difficulty comes into the life of a, a Jesus follower, they can feel like God is farther away, maybe not available to them, or they can feel less intimate because they're going through it. But please don't miss the example of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prays this way. He says, now remember, Jesus was going through it, right? And what did he say, Daddy? He says, Abba, Father, Daddy. Everything is possible for you. If it is possible, take this cup from me. Mark 14, 36. Yet not what I will, but thy will be done. The true Christian who lives with the intimate knowledge of God as Father accessible through the adoption through Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Learns to live out his or her faith in light of the knowledge of God as Abba Father. We remember that. The spirit you received when you get the Holy Ghost does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you receive brought you into adoption to sonship we are not Jesus's grandchildren or great-grandchildren. We are his children. And by him, we cry, Daddy. We cry, Abba, Father. We strive for this, this childlike dependence. Romans 8, 15. This boldness, this vulnerable dependence on him because he has become our everlasting father. And I'm going to wrap up with this. As a country, we, we, we are still reeling from many tragic events happening around the country and around the world and in, 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 in Ukraine and Gaza. It can sometimes dull your enthusiasm and make you wonder what in the world is happening? But from time to time, you come across a few flashes of hope, even from tragedy. The one that I'm going to read to you now is from the survivor of a, of a mass shooting in San Bernardino. 
27-year-old Denise Peraza. Her life was spared not because the shooters saw her and decided to turn their guns away from her, but her life was spared because a valiant man named Shannon Johnson shielded her body with his own body and saved her life. This is how she tells the story. She said, it was Wednesday morning, about 10.55 a.m. We were, we were all seated next to each other at this table, joking about how we thought the large clock on the wall might be broken because time seemed to be moving so slowly. She writes, I would never have guessed that only a few minutes later, we would be huddled next to each other under the same table, using a fallen chair as a shield from the over 60 bullets that were being fired across the room. She writes, while I cannot recall every single second that played out that morning, I will always remember his left arm wrapped around me, holding me as close as possible next to him behind that chair. And amidst all the chaos, I'll always remember him saying these words, I got you, I got you. Over and over again, he said, I got you. Always, always, no matter what. I want you to remember these three words. God's got you. God's got you. These are God's three words to you and me. He says, I got you. Not just in your time of need, but all the time. He is your everlasting father. Through the adoption of the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will never leave us nor forsake us. And he's saying to you, I got you, I got you, I got you, amen, amen. That's, that's my study for you tonight. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.